You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. If you're just tuning in with us, perhaps online or maybe here in the room, we've been talking about silence for a long time to the point that you'd hope we'd be silent about it, perhaps. This is the 15th week and the final week that we're going to talk about this topic. Next week, we begin a whole collection about change and what that takes to change because we are predestined to become more and more into the grow into the image of Christ. So we're going to start a whole new journey uh, with, with that topic. But before we do, we're going to end this 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 uh, collection today, and we're going to end it on a, a more serious note, but also a glorious note. It is a it is a note that I think is uh, so essential, even after hearing what Peter just said, not losing the essence of the gospel, and as years progress, to maintain what is important to God. And maintain the, the message that God has given to us, the responsibility to carry this message. I think it's clear and, and that the, the Bible speaks about what that message is, but it is good for us to remind ourselves how this whole thing works that we call Christianity, how we have a relationship with God, because you are the church wherever you work and live and play. The church was never intended to, to only be a gathering place where we come and we get fed and we hear a message. We get to sing together. We get to worship together and pray together. But wherever you work and play and live, it is important to realize that you are an agent and ambassador uh, for Jesus Christ and the gospel that he has given to us. So I think it's important for us to say, hey, let's take something that can be very complicated and really pare it, pare it down. So we're going to begin at the beginning and the end of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation. We're going to go through the entire thing. So the uh, Bucks game might be delayed. Um, just kidding. So um, what, uh, there are many fascinating things about the Word of God, about the Bible, and I think there are many things that are distinctive in respect to other faiths and other holy sacred writings that are sacred and holy to them, to other faiths. When you, if you were to have the time to dig down into that, many people don't, but if you were to, to dig down into that and look at, to, to study the writings and other faiths, what you would find is that the Bible does stand head and shoulders, not because it's our book, but, but if you were to do an objective study, it stands head and shoulders on a number of things. One of those things, which we'll talk about today, is the consistency of the Word of God. And the consistency stands out not because it was written by one person, which some religious writings are. So it's easy. If Steve McCoy writes a book, it's easy to be consistent with myself. I write the whole book. One of the marvelous things is that the Bible was written for many thousands over the span of many thousands of years. So consistency is more difficult. It was written by different people in different locations, in different cultures, in different generations, in different times. So consistency then is really a miracle. So when you look at the Bible, there are many consistent things from Genesis to Revelation. We're only going to center on one of them. 
So here's the theme of our conversation today. To be in the presence of God, a certain clothing is required. That's the topic of our, our time today. Now, you may think, well, that sounds a little bit odd because, you know, uh, you may have seen signs in a restaurant that say, hey, no shirt, no shoes, no service, right? Uh, we've changed those masks, uh, those signs to include masks these days. Uh, and uh, we went through a whole period of uh, a couple of years that in many establishments, it was no shirt, no uh, shoes, no mask, no service, right? We've gone through that. That was, that was super enjoyable. And, uh, and so there, there's, a, there's a sense of, hey, this establishment can call the shots of what they want. What do I mean by this? Well, when you look at things, I love looking at things where you're like, oh, that's where that came from. Oh, that's how that all works. Because religion is a very complicated mechanism, it wasn't God's intention to be complicated, to have a relationship with him. But human beings have a wonderful way of complicating things so that, you know, we don't understand them. And, and it allows for experts to be over others. So when you go to the dentist, for example, if the dentist uh, says, looks in your tooth and uh, in, the, in your mouth and says, wow, we're going to have to pull that big fat tooth out in the back. You're like, I don't know if they know what they're talking about. But if they say, hey, we're going to pull the third upper bicuspid, like, well, that's why I'm paying a lot of money, because they know a lot more. <laughs> in the dark ages, there was no time in history that this wasn't more highlighted, that the experts of the day were able to manipulate others because they had put themselves in higher religious positions. Today, we're going to break it down to all of us. Because it is quite simple. The gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. It's almost so simple that you want to make it complicated. The message of Christ and how we have a relationship with him is so beautifully uncomplex that it, it, this, is, this is where the power of it is. So we find ourselves in the Garden of Eden. You may remember, most of us, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you understand that Adam and Eve made their own choice in disobedience to God. You also probably know that the first thing that they did was hide from God so that there was a separation. In a simple way, this is what sin does in our life. We know it instinctively. We know it as a three-year-old. When we take the cookie out of the cookie bin, we know that the, our parents didn't want us to do that, so we hide all the evidence and try to brush all the crumbs just so instinctively we know when we step off the line that we should hide. So Adam hid. God came into the garden and there was a, they recognized that they were exposed. Adam and Eve were exposed. So what they did was try to cover themselves with their own homemade clothing made out of leaves, fig leaves, we're told in the scripture. Now, it's interesting that when you were, if you were to ask, hey, who wrote the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis was written by Moses. Now, there are people that try to refute that, but even Jesus said the law, the first five books of the Bible, were given through Moses. I happen to believe Jesus on that. And so when Moses was up on the mountain all those, uh, you know, many days and nights, we, they weren't just, you know, having a sushi together. They were getting, they, God was revealing to him what was happening because no one was present. No human being was present when God said, let there be light. So how would we know 
that there was that that happened. Well, God had to tell somebody and God revealed that to Moses. And the same way, if you go to the end of the Bible, John writes the book of Revelation, that God was revealing to him what was happening in the in, in the future. And so as God revealed to Moses what happened in the past, he revealed to Moses what or John what happened in the future. The message of clothing you're going to see comes from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the last chapters of the book of Revelation. It's important. Here's what, let's get to, the, to, to what this means. We all instinctively know when we're right or wrong. And we also know that it separates us from God. And we also know that we're going to have human effort to try to make it right with God. That's called religion. So religion began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had their own homemade version of making their relationship right with God and covering themselves with leaves. The problem with that is that it it wasn't God's idea. It wasn't God's uh, uh, clothing factory. It wasn't God's gift of the clothing. Here's what I mean. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, Every single human being has become like one who is unclean. Now, it's interesting to see the word become. We all become that. And we've become that because we inherit it. We're downstream of Adam. And we have become, the whole human race has become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts to modify our behavior, to be right with God, are like filthy clothing. They're like filthy rags. In other words, they don't clean us up. And if we say, hey, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a smoker. Now I'm not going to smoke. And now because I'm not going to smoke, I'm okay with God. Should you smoke? Sure you're not. Shouldn't, you shouldn't smoke. I, I smoked for many years. And maybe some of you guys still struggle with that. But, I, 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 but when I stopped smoking, it wasn't, now, oh, now I'm okay with God. That righteous act was just a fig leaf. I really couldn't stand before God and say, now I'm perfect because I've stopped this or I've stopped this. I've stopped cussing. I've stopped smoking. I've stopped whatever you know is on your list of do nots, right? That doesn't make us right with God. They're like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a fig leaf, actually. And, the, and, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away from God. So we, like others, have attempted for many years to clothe ourselves with God. The challenge is that it is not enough. But the solution is that when God came into the garden, he was seeking Adam. Adam, where are you? And when God saw them, he clothed them, not with leaves, but he clothed them with a product of sacrifice. What do I mean? He killed an animal, a life for a life. It was a costly, it didn't cost anything for Adam to go and pluck off a fig leaf and cover himself. But God came in the garden and said, I want you, I'm pursuing you, and I want to cover you. And this is how, this is the beginning of how we understand our relationship with God, that there is a life for a life. In other words, Adam, I'm not going to penalize you. I'm going to put the penalty over here on this animal, and I'm going to clothe you with this skin that cost the animal his life. It begins the theme of the most powerful message in the Bible. 
That all through time, all through the Old Testament, you see an animal that's going to be sacrificed instead of the human beings losing their life. And through that sacrifice, said God said, I'm going to cover you. Even before the regulations started, we're still in the book of Genesis, God said to Jacob, he had a message. So Jacob comes before Moses, who, who gave us the law, right? And so he said to Jacob, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. Beth means house, El means God, Elohim. Go up to the house of God and settle there and build an altar there to God. So I want you to come close to, to me at this altar intersection who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of all your foreign gods that you have with you. We spoke about that last week. In other words, I want you to repent. I want you to put aside everything that's clogging your relationship and come after me and say, God, I'm going to turn towards you. I want you to put get rid of all your foreign gods and purify yourselves. And watch. I want you to change your clothes. I want you to come to me and put off the old and put on the new. You might remember in the prodigal son story that even if you don't know the Bible, you know, most of us know that story. What did God do as soon as he got back? He killed the fatted calf and he put on him some new clothing. He put on him this new clothing. So at this point, like, okay, I'm trying to piece this thing together. That Adam, when it all started, God's clothing him, tells Jacob to clothe in di different clothing, to, to, to come and clothe. And here we have the, the prodigal son clothing with a new robe. You see, because God is saying, let me give you a new surface because it's like wearing a brand new set of clothes. We, it makes us look a, a little different. And when God covers us, that means we get to stand in front of him and look as he sees us as if we have no sin. You think, well, how in the world can that happen? Well, let me tell you, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 26, when we exchange our old life for Christ's new one, we become children of God. And in Galatians chapter 3, you all are sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Here it is. The good news of the, of, the, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that no amount of religion can make us right with God. Our righteous acts are like filthy clothes. So we come to God in faith in Christ, and we say there's been a life for a life, God sent his only son to the planet to walk among us, to understand us, and to lay his life on a cross so that he might absorb us, absorb all the sins of the world and forgive all the sins of the world if we come to him. And he says, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to clothe you in the sacrifice that I made, the blood that was poured out on the cross. I'm going to clothe you. So when we say, I'm going to take that on, that clothing on, rather than trying to piece together good behavior or religion, I'm going to take the clothing that God offers us through the cross, just like he did offer it to Adam in the garden. It is God's clothing, not our clothing. When we take on God's clothing, which means the forgiveness of Christ in our life, 
produced by the blood of Christ, the sacrifice on the cross, then God looks at Steve McCoy as if I've never sinned in my life. Trust me, he's the only one that does. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 61, foretelling what this good news would be, said, uh, Isaiah says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has arrayed me, clothed me in a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns, adorns his head like a priest, and a, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. You see, it, so when we come to Christ, we say, God, I want to be clothed in Christ. I want it to be his clothing. By faith, I trust in Christ and not my own self. Let me tell you why this is good news. Let's say you've come this morning or maybe you've tuned in this morning or maybe it's later in the week and you've, you're listening somewhere, your home, your work, your car, and you've tried. You've tried to be right with God. In fact, you may be here at church or tuning into a church service because it's part of your journey to be right with God. Instinctively, you've said to yourself, I want to be right with God. Now, what's really happening is that God is drawing you. Just like when God reached into the garden, walked into the garden, he's drawing Adam. Adam, where are you? I want to have that relationship with you. But before we move on, I want to clothe you so that I see you differently. I, I don't see your sin. I see something different. In this case, Christ said, God says to us, I see the righteousness. You're clothed in righteousness. You're wrapped completely in righteousness. If you're searching for God, no amount of religion will make you right with God. No amount of spirituality, because that's kind of the new buzzword in America these days. No amount of spirituality. That means that I, I'm going out, I'm just kind of meditating, and I'm doing all these things. You know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying, quite frankly, it won't get you to God. The only thing that gets you to God is this. When we come by faith to Christ and say, I want to be clothed in your clothing. I want to be clothed in your rightness. Because that is an offer from God and not an effort from humans. Does it make sense? It's exactly the message that Peter shared with, with us this morning. We are offering to a nation, to other nations, a message that is ancient, but somehow has lost its way through the quagmire of religion to complicate things rather than come simply and say, God, would you clothe me today with Christ? So we find ourselves now, if you're tracking in your Bible, we're going to land in Matthew chapter 22. You might ask yourself this question, what in the world does this have to do with silence? So Jesus tells a story, a parable as he would, about a wedding feast, a wedding banquet. And he says, I, I, so he begins the story, Matthew chapter 22, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a king, God the Father in this case, who pre prepared a wedding banquet for his son, Jesus in this case. So he's telling the story. 
And then he goes on to say, just for sake of time, I'll kind of give you the abbreviated version. He goes on to say that I sent inviters throughout the years, prophets and people that are speaking the truth throughout history. And they beat them up. They, they beat, people beat up the, the inviters, the prophets, the teachers. And I even sent my son to invite them to the wedding banquet that's going to be in his honor. And they killed my son. And people began to come to the wedding. And so in Matthew chapter 22, in the, the 11th verse, but when the king came in to see the guest who had arrived at this wedding banquet, he noticed that there was a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he said, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? And the man was speechless, silent. Listen, it is the most titanic moment of silence a human soul will ever experience. You notice, thankfully, that the king didn't say, Hey, you're only wearing a bikini. <laughs> You've only got some clothes on. Like, like your behavior is almost good enough because this is the tragedy of religion. No matter how we try and try and try and try and try, no one will ever know. Whether you become a martyr for your faith or you're, or, or, or you're, you're just nominal in, your faith, in, in religion, no one will ever know in religion if they've got it good enough until this moment. I'm so thankful that, that the king didn't say, now, you got, you got it mostly right. It wasn't about being good enough. It wasn't about being religious enough. It was were you clothed with the righteousness of God that I give to you. That was it. It's just that simple. I don't know if you've ever been in this scenario. I have. Where you walk into a really fancy restaurant club. And their jacket for men is required. Have you ever done that? Um, it, I, I don't hang out too much in that environment, but I have been you know, invited to those things. And I showed up, like I do, shirt tail out, and I was pulled to the side. And, uh, and very nicely said, hey, we have a jacket for you. I'm like, no, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. <laughs> We have this nice blue blazer with an emblem on it. I'm like, I'm actually not, I'm not chilly or anything. No, in order to get into our establishment, you need to be wearing this jacket. Now, it's interesting where this whole thing, no shirt, no shoes, no service came from. I grew up in the 60s, and that's where it came from. Now, before the 60s, you wouldn't probably show up to a restaurant without a shirt. But in the 60s, we had what this thing called hippies. Remember that? <laughs> Hippies. I remember my my first pair of jeans, where my my parents thought that's it. He's a hippie. He has uh, brought he has purchased a bear a pair of jeans. I guess back in the in the day that was a sign of being a hippie. And I put patches all over them. That was you know I was going off the deep end. I will say that I my mom went into the hospital and that's when I bought the jeans because dad was a lot more lenient. <laughs> How about those jeans? 
So in the 60s, there were, there were civil rights suits against no shirt, no, no shoes, no service. There were, there were lawsuits. And so you can't tell me what to wear or not what to wear. And those lawsuits lost. Because what was established is that this restaurant or this organization, whatever, this restaurant is a privately owned restaurant. And we get to determine the dress code of our establishment. You see, I don't know the last time you checked, but God owns heaven. It is his restaurant. And he's the one that says, here's how this is going to work. Now, it's not just because he's picky. It's not just because he's type A or that he's elitist. What we're told in the scripture is out of great compassion. God said, you can't do it on your own. Let me clothe you. Let me offer the clothes. You don't have enough fig leaves. You can't make it. So out of compassion, God says, this is my heaven. And I want you to. In order for us to have this relationship forever and ever, you have to be clothed. Perhaps one of the most staggering questions that you might be asked in life is simply this. Not are you religious, not are you, have you cleaned your act up, but are you clothed with Christ and ready for heaven? Are you clothed with Christ? And ready for heaven. Some of us don't know each other. But let me just say to you, as this, as this king did, friend, that is not a question that you want to complicate. That is not a question that you want to logically maneuver around. That is not a question that you want to miss. Life is short. Eternity is forever. It's important. Romans chapter 3 tells us that now we know what the law says, the rights and wrongs. It speaks to those who are still under the law and not clothed so that every mouth will be silent. And all the world may become accountable to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, this stunning verse says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let me get real serious, just for a few minutes, okay? Peter said it well. I didn't know what Peter was going to say. Over time, we have lost the full message that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. It, do it doesn't feel pleasant to speak about hell. It doesn't feel pleasant and, uh, to speak about an eternity away from God. And I began to research this week and do some reading. Even as recent as C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis spoke a lot about heaven and hell. The Screwtape Letters, The Great Divorce, if you know those books. Then you just back up the years. Martin Luther spoke a lot about heaven and about hell. In fact, he put it in the music that he wrote. How many songs have you sung recently that include the reality of an eternity away from God? 
In other words, as we become more and more consumed with ourselves, as the Bible says, we want the message to be easy. We, want it, we don't want anything that kind of ruffles people's feathers or, for goodness sake, that's politically incorrect. And yet Jesus himself spoke a lot about it. Here's why. Because, are you ready? Really complicated. It's a reality. It's a reality. And so when I look at the, 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 the following verses, and we're not going to spend much time on this, but in terms of silence, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, God will guard the feet of his saints, meaning the, those that are clothed in Christ, but the wicked without Christ will be silenced in darkness. It's a verse that is riveting. Hey, come on. It's not pleasant. As a preacher, trust me, I get far more accolades when I talk about positive things. But I'm going to be more concerned with what God thinks than what you think. In fact, I don't even like you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Well, some of you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Psalm 115 verse 17 says, It is not the dead who praise the Lord forever. Oh, that's the thing. It is not the dead who praise the Lord forever, nor those who go down in silence. What does that mean? I don't know. But it's staggering to be in silence, away from God, while all this, this worship service is going on for eternity. There's silence away from God. And it should cause us to shudder, truly. It should cause us to, sh to shudder. In Psalm 94, verse 17, God says, but that's not my heart. That's not my, that's not my design. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would have soon dwelt in the silence of death. Again, be thankful that it doesn't say, unless I had cleaned up my act, I'd be, I'd be dealing in the silence away from God. No, it doesn't say that. Unless I had become more religious, I'd be dealing in the silence of dark, dwelling in the silence of dark. No. Unless the Lord had given me help, unless the Lord had walked in the garden and said, hey, let me clothe you. Unless the Lord had said to Isaiah through Isaiah, let me clothe you with the robes of righteousness. Unless Jesus had come down to earth and clothed us with the righteousness that he gives and his robe of righteousness, then no one would be entering heaven. So when we read, unless the Lord had given me help, I soon would have dwelt in the silence of death. Now, if we go back to Psalm 115, watch. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor those who go down in silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Okay, let's go to the end of the Bible, okay? This is, this is somber, sobering, is it not? And I recognize that. But I'm going to say again, no prophet, no preacher, no pastor, is doing anyone any favors by saying, hey, let's just not talk about this. Because the gospel of Jesus means even much more when we recognize what God is saving us from and his compassion. Now watch this. We end on the silence of heaven. 
if you clothe yourself in righteousness, we get a different kind of silence. John, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, he was transported to the future, and he said, after this I looked, and there was before me a great tribe, a great multitude that no one could count. Millions upon millions upon millions from every nation, from the DR, from Guatemala to Brazil to the Middle East to the United States, from every single nation, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, and they were wearing the white robes of righteousness. This is why they were there. It wasn't their rightness. It wasn't their religion. It was their robe. That's why they were there. They were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice the message of the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to our God, not to us. It's not our fig leaves. The clothing came from God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders asked me, because in the context of this, we're talking about many different places in history, you know, tribulation, etc. It's still the same theme. One of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? He said, sir, you know. And he said, they, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb of God. From Genesis to Revelation, the story hasn't changed. Silence in the scripture. What do you mean? Silence in heaven. What do you mean? The next to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. He will silence every tear. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will silence tears. There will be no more death. He will silence death. There will, he will silence mourning. He will silence crying. He will silence pain. Why? Because the old order of things that Adam set up are gone. Silent. Now, the things that we wrestle with, the sin that we wrestle with. He who was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. In the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, no longer will there be any curse because the curse is silenced. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night is silenced. There will be no more night. They will not even need a lamp, the light of a lamp or the light even of the sun for the Lord their God. It will shine so much that night and darkness and sin and everything will be silenced. And they will reign forever and ever and ever. Let me tell you why I get a little passionate about this. Because it's a wake-up call to what is really important in life. Sometimes as a pastor, you know, the, the, the chit-chat and this, that, and the other, and he said this, and he said this. I'm like, hey, wake up! Our enemy wants us to get down in that stupid silliness so we lose sight of what's going on. I love when a quarterback gets angry on the sidelines. Tom Brady's the master of it. Have you noticed? 
He's going over there. He's throwing his you know, tablet down and he's talking to the guys. It's not because he doesn't like them. He wants to win the game. He wants to. It's about the game. It's about the Super Bowl, right? And so I wonder, would it be weird if you if you could overhear Tom Brady and uh, and you and and you'd be shocked that he was so angry with his wide receiver and you kind of you kind of snuck up and he was saying, I can't believe they're serving that kind of mustard at the snack bar. <laughs> I mean, it's just killing me, man. You see how stupid that is? <laughs> That's like us. <laughs> it's not about the mustard at the snack bar. It's about every single man, woman, and child bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world to say to the world, there's great news. You don't have to clothe yourself. God provides through the cross of Christ a clothing because nothing impure, we end with this, Revelation 21, next to the last chapter of the Bible, nothing impure will enter heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, because they're unrobed, they're unclothed, but only those who are clothed and their names are written in the book of life. Who do you know? Who do you know that's naked right now? That's unclothed? Perhaps it's you. Don't fool around with that question. Embrace the love of God. He has walked into your garden with clothing that he can't wait to wrap you with the robe of righteousness. Let me pray. Father, thank you for not only a reminder, but something that rattles our cage today to prioritize our lives to understand that we are ambassadors of a message that, that pierces the lies of religion, that says that we can have enough fig leaves to make ourselves right with you. It demolishes the concept that we are good people and, and our rightness will be our passageway, our visa, our passport into, into your presence. If any of that's true, then Christ died in vain. Today we remind ourselves of something very, very sobering. And it's just, it's, it's the question of the wedding banquet. Are we clothed in Christ or are we not? We pause. We pause, God. Dramatically, we pause. To allow every person in the sound of your word today to ask themselves, am I clothed in Christ? Have I embraced Jesus as my righteousness, as my rightness with God? By faith, have I trusted in Christ rather than trusted in myself, my religion, my rightness, my comparison to others, better than others, all that? As we're in this prayer, let me ask you, friend, 
listen. Don't fool around with this. Don't fool around with this. Are you clothed in Christ? Is God drawing you? I, I know he is. This is what the scripture tells us. The Bible tells us he's drawing you. Sometimes we realize more than others that about that draw. Why not right now settle it? Why not right now? Come to God and in your own simple heart language say, God, I want to be clothed in Christ. I want to be right with you. And not just because I say a prayer, but because my heart completely trusts in Jesus Christ. I'm going to depend on Christ right now who died on the cross, who poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sin. That's what I want, God. I'm trusting it. I'm accepting it. I'm receiving that, that clothing today. I'm receiving Christ. I'm here, God, to exchange my old life for your new one. Is that your prayer? Oh, reach out to him now. This is not a checkbox on a, on a job interview. Are you? What religion are you? This is more serious than that. Are you right with God? In God's closet, he has one robe, not many, one robe who came from Jesus, the robe of righteousness. Oh, be right with God today. Come to him today. I want to be a child of God. Is that your prayer? Just speak to him from your heart to his heart right now. I want to I want to give my whole life to you, God. I'm exchanging my old life for your new one. Is that your prayer? Thank you so much, Father, for the gospel message. The message of good news. The salvation belongs to our God. Thank you for reminding us of that today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.